It is a uh, privilege for me today to introduce you to uh, our preacher uh, for today. Uh, I've known him for a very long time. Uh, 36 years, six months, and two days, actually. Um, uh, my dad, Bruce Cochran, is here this morning to bring the word to us. Uh, my dad has uh, served in pastoral ministry for um, over 30 years in southern Michigan, in southern California, and then in southern Indiana, where he was the pastor at Seymour First Baptist Church for over 25 years. And just this past year, uh, he and my mom stepped away from that ministry and are now living in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, I was thinking about uh, today and introducing my dad. I just was thinking back on uh, my relationship with my dad and how it's changed and grown over the years. Uh, certainly as I grew up, uh, my dad was for me a, a mentor in the faith, an example in the faith. Uh, I knew that my dad was um, up at 5.30 in the morning uh, in prayer and reading the scriptures in the morning. That was an example for me. Uh, as I went into pastoral ministry about uh, 11 or 12 years ago, uh, my dad and I really became partners in ministry, and we'd uh, call one another up and talk about what we're preaching about and, uh, you know, just uh, became partners in ministry. And in the last three or four years, um, uh, things have, be, have taken even a different step um, as he has uh, shared with me more and more and opened up to me more and more about the joys as well as the struggles and the frustrations and disappointments of life and ministry that in recent years, especially these last couple of years since I've been back, we've become friends. And um, so it's a joy for me to um, introduce to you my dad. Um, Bruce Cochran, if I didn't, didn't mention his name, Bruce Cochran and my mom, my mom Connie is here as well. So. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Well, what a joy it is to be here. I have looked forward to uh, this experience uh, when I heard that Ryan was being called to be your pastor. And uh, I was kind of hoping that someday he would ask me to preach for him. And so um, I, I paid him $20 and he said, okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you have a beautiful building here. My, oh my, what a gorgeous old building and the service this morning already. After that, uh, the worship team did such a, f a fine job of ushering us into the presence of God. And I almost feel like, okay, let's just say amen and go home. Um, cause how can I? How can I add anything to that? Well, I know that you would like for me to tell you tell you tell a story about Ryan. It's kind of hard because you know Ryan. I have I have nicknames for just about everybody that I know that's close to me, and uh, my nickname for Ryan is Good Guy, and he is a good guy. I mean, there's you know so many of you have come to come to us and and said you know your son is just a blessing to us, and I know that because he's a good guy. Um, and he's always been that way. We brought him home from the hospital, propped him up in the corner, and 18 years later he left. I mean, we didn't have to. We didn't have to be. We could have written the book on parenting after Ryan. And then his brother came. And so that's a different story altogether. But anyway, they're both blessings to us in so many ways. Uh, but I'll tell a story on Ryan. When I was in seminary, uh, we passed, I pastored a little country church down in southern Indiana, uh, not too far from the river. 
And uh, it's a typical country church. You, know, you walk in from the back door and you're in the sanctuary. And so when they decided in this country church to put bathrooms in the church, they couldn't put them upstairs because there was just the sanctuary. So they put, them in the, they put the bathrooms in the basement. And the basement stairwell came from the sanctuary. <laughs> he already knows the story. So, um, you know, whatever happened in the basement, you could hear in the sanctuary. So he was right at that age when he was just learning how to do things, you know, in the bathroom. Uh, but he couldn't do everything. He could just do the simplest things. And I remember I was preaching one day on Sunday morning, and Connie was back there in the back, the, in the back row with Ryan. And, and Ryan jumped up and went down the basement. And I thought, well, he's just going to go down there to do something simple. But once he got down there, it got complicated. <laughs> so as I was preaching along, I heard this, this little kid's voice in the basement <laughs> comes ringing up into the sanctuary. I'm done. <laughs> My wife is not a runner, but she sprinted that day. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, but anyway, that's all I'm going to tell you about Ryan today. <laughs> the story of Joseph in the Bible is a powerful one. It has so much about what it means to be human, what it means to encounter difficulties, what it means to rise above those difficulties, what it means to be honorable and faithful, uh, and what it means to experience God through it all. You know the story of Joseph that his brothers sold him into slavery. They betrayed him. And I might add that uh, when you read the whole story of Joseph at the, at, before that happened, Joseph may have been asking for this. He was just a little bit arrogant at that young age and kind of because he was daddy's favorite, he kind of rubbed his brother's noses in that from time to time. But at any rate, uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. And he was carried off to Egypt. And while in Egypt, he, he asserted himself and he was seen to be a very um, talented person. And um, at one time, however, um, you know, you know that because he was talented, the, the, the uh, Pharaoh brought him into his household. And his wife, Pharaoh's wife, betrayed Joseph while Joseph was faithful. And Joseph was thrown in prison. Not because he deserved it, but because he was honest. And he was betrayed by Pharaoh's wife. While he was in prison, he showed himself to be a very talented person as well. One thing he could do was interpret dreams. And on one occasion, he interpreted a couple of dreams of the other prisoners there. And uh, make a long story short, one of those prisoners ended up in the king's court. And David was hoping that that prisoner would speak for him. And one day, he finally did. And the king brought David into his presence. And David interpreted one of the king's dreams. And that got him out of prison. And, da- and did I say David? Okay, if I say David anymore, I mean Joseph. <laughs> you ever have that happen in your house? You know what I mean. <laughs> so Joseph, Joseph arose then to, uh, again, rose to a very prominent per, uh, place in 
Pharaoh's court. As a matter of fact, it was so prominent that he was actually number two. Pharaoh gave him all the power. On the outside, his brothers and his father lived in a place where they were experiencing famine and they needed food. And Jacob told his brothers to go to Egypt to find food. Now, they didn't know that Joseph was there. And his, he saw his brothers come and ask for food, and there's a long, drawn-out affair that goes on there. But I just want to stop with the story at that particular point. Joseph knew what it was to forgive other people. You know, there's a lot of things in our lives that work into who we are, work into how our story plays itself out. One aspect of that story is this whole idea of forgiveness. And we've already touched on that in our, in our singing today as we look up to the Lord and we understand that none of us have anything to boast about. For by grace are we saved, for by grace are we forgiven by faith. It's a gift of God. And the only reason any of us have a right to be here today and lift up the name of Jesus Christ is because he has extended his grace to us. He has forgiven us. We have experienced the greatest experience that God can give to human beings. And that's forgiveness. And then he turns around then and says to us, we're to model that in our lives. And so another aspect of our story, just as it was in Joseph's story, is the fact that all of us, somewhere along the line, are offended deeply by somebody else. We're betrayed, or other people disappoint us, or hurt us. That's in everybody's story. Everybody. All of us are called to face this idea of forgiveness, not just as those who receive it from Christ, but as those who give it. And that is perhaps one of the most difficult things that we are called to do. I don't know any of your stories, but I know that in this room there are stories that hold terrific pain and suffering because of the actions of other people. And I don't want to minimize that at all today because that's a burden. And the fact that we've been hurt by other people is a bad enough burden and a heavy enough burden as it is. But Christ has offered us the opportunity to release the part of that burden that we may carry as a heartache or a desire to seek vengeance or to hold a grudge. He said you can let go of that. And I want us to talk about that today because Joseph provides for us a model of what it means to forgive other people. And I want you to examine that today in your heart and in your life and see how this plays out in your life today.
One of the greatest gifts that Christ has to offer you today is to release that. Let's pray. Father, you have the words today that give life. You are the owner of the promises. And you are the one who has given us grace and mercy. I pray today, Lord, that you will allow us to see the freedom that we can have by letting go of that hurt and learning what it means to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say today that I'm uh, indebted to a pastor named David McFadden for for much of the thoughts that are here today, at least in terms of the outline. One of the reasons, one of the things, uh, I really want to ask, I really want you to ask the question, have I forgiven? Have I forgiven? Not am I forgiven, but have I forgiven? And you can know that by a couple things, or a few things, that we see in the life of Joseph. Um, We're going to uh, go to chapter 45 in the book of Genesis right now, and I'm going to uh, show you some experiences in the life of Joseph that reflect his forgiveness. And one of the reasons, one of the ways you can know that you you have forgiven others is if if, uh, we are not angry with God. We are not angry with God. Um, Verse uh, verse 7 of chapter 45, uh, we read this. And this is David talking to his brothers after he'd revealed himself to his brothers. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has, me, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's ironic that... One of the things that might cause us to be angry with God is that we see God as one who is sovereign and in control of all things. And so when something happens to us, when somebody else does something to us, we're so prone to ask, you know, God, why did you let that happen? And we're, we're prone to blame God for the experience because we believe in his sovereignty. But the other part of that is if we see God for who God is, we must also Believe and know that he's one to be trusted in all circumstances. That's what faith is. Not being angry with God reflects that deep-seated conviction and understanding that God can be trusted in all circumstances. And he takes what others intend for evil and turns it into good. Joseph was able to see that. He was able to see, look back at the big picture of his life and see God's finger upon him, even in the, in the times when he was, was sold into slavery and betrayed by other people. And he was able to see that God was in that. And because God was in that and brought David, excuse me, Joseph to that place, Joseph was then able to spare and save his entire family, which later became the nation of Israel. He takes what others intend for evil and turns it into good. You know, we often refer to people as having some rough edges. Anybody here with rough edges? All the rest of you have been smoothed out. Maybe I should let you preach this morning. 
You know, what does smooth us out? It's the hard knocks of life. It's the hard knocks of life. And, you know, I'm like you. Sometimes I ask God, why do the knocks have to be so hard? Why do they have to be so hard for this person or that person or me? Why do they have to? It just shows me how rough the edges are for me. That I don't quite understand it all. But I understand this. I understand this. That God can be trusted in every circumstance. He can be trusted in every circumstance. And in retrospect, we can do what Joseph did and apply our faith. And when we do that, the pain takes a different appearance to us. Suddenly, then, the pain is not necessarily something that we have to experience alone, for one thing. And the pain is also something that we don't necessarily have to blame the other person on as well. God, I can trust you. I don't know why you're doing it, but I can trust you. We do question and maybe feel a bit perturbed at God or downright angry. But when the dust settles after we've applied our faith, we can see his hand differently. And I can assure you that when you start to apply your faith to those kind of things and see God as trustworthy, the anger begins to fade. But it does take an effort to apply your faith to that and come to God in that manner. Second way we can know that if we've forgiven others is is if we don't seek to make others fear us, afraid of us. In chapter 45 again, Joseph said this in verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, him, so dismayed were they at, at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Joseph wanted his brothers to approach him. He didn't want to hold him at arm's length. He didn't want to, he didn't want to keep them away from them. You see, if we have a forgiving spirit, or maybe I should say it this way, if we don't have a forgiving spirit, we may be prone to say, boy, I'll tell you what, that, that guy better not cross my path. Boy, she better not get close to me because, I'll, you know, a bopper. You know, and we want, we, want people to, we want people to be kind of afraid of us if we don't have a forgiving spirit. But if we have forgiven the other, other person, then fear is not in the picture. Remember what John said in 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4, verse, um, um, let's just start with verse 16. So we've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. Then verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. And so we come to this point and we, we understand that lack of forgiveness actually thrives, even takes pride in the kind of intimidation that would cause others to be afraid of us. They know that, they're, they know that they've offended us and we want them to know that and, be, and keep their distance. 
But Joseph says, brothers, come closer to me. Be a part of my life. You see, we turn the corner when we trust God to bring about justice on his own. We recognize that God is the one who's going to take all that in. He's the one who's going to, to, to deal out and mete out that justice. That's not our role. Uh, you talk about justice on a, on a, on a social level and, and in terms of uh, crime and punishment. That's a different deal. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about what's happening internally to us, the spiritual battle that we have with us. We turn that corner when we let God take care of that. And there's no fear from either party when, when that party, when you're in the presence of somebody that you've forgiven. You also know, this close, there's a lot of overlap with these points. If we, we also know that we've forgiven others if we don't seek to make others feel guilty. Verse 5, once again, are going on. And, Joseph, um, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph could have held that over their heads. I mean, he had the power. He had the authority to put these guys away. And yet he didn't do that. He didn't want them to feel guilty. Joseph learned to trust God and to get beyond the pain and the suffering of his past. And he wanted them also to see what he saw. That God was trustworthy. That God was in the middle of it all. And then they, as well as Joseph, would learn what it meant to trust God for the future. You see, it comes back to just letting God be the one who's God and trusting him to be God. You see, in our natural state, we fear that if we let loose of that thing, that vengeance, we, fear, we feel that if we let, let that go, then the offender's going to get off too lightly and God'll, God won't do it well. You know? So we've got to hold on to it because, you know, God, you don't know what you're doing sometimes. And so we hold on to it. But God is the judge. And God is the one who meets out justice. And when we take it on ourselves, what does that say about us? I want you to think about this for just a moment. Remember back in the Garden of Eden when that first sin took place? The serpent said, he doesn't want you to be like him. And Adam and Eve believed that lie. And so they wanted to be like God. And echoing down through the ages is that element of our desire to be God. And in every sin in the human heart rings that same desire. God, I want to be the judge here. You can be the judge of everybody else, but this particular situation, I'm holding on to that one because I can't, you can't do it right. You see, we need to let God be God in that, in that respect and give that to him. When, we've, when we refuse to forgive 
on the basis of making sure that justice is done, is that not the same thing as taking the place of God? We're right back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 is not very far from any, any day of our lives. We're always there facing that. But if we've forgiven, then we want the other person to experience grace in the same way that we have and seek and hope that they would find that grace too. Closely uh, tied to this whole idea is uh, what we see in verse 1 of chapter 45. Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. We know that we have forgiven others when we don't seek to humiliate them. Joseph told everybody else to leave. He told everybody else just to get out of the pictures because he wanted to show him some, reveal himself to his brothers. He didn't want that whole story of their betrayal of Joseph to even be known. It was just between him and them. He didn't want them to be humiliated. And it was in private that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. He didn't want others to see or know their shame. He didn't want their crime to be broadcasted everywhere. Question. When you forgive somebody else, do you broadcast it? Do you broadcast it? There's two reasons to broadcast forgiveness. One is to further propagate the knowledge of the offense. Make sure that other people know that that offense was done. And the other is to elevate our own piety, our own sense of goodness. We want other people to know that we've forgiven others because we're good people. And the other person's a bad person. Joseph didn't have anything, any, 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 any color of that figuring into his forgiveness of his brothers. To humiliate another person in the course of seeking or secure, securing forgiveness only indicates our lack of forgiveness. So humiliating others is not the point. They have to deal with their own sin on their own, on their own terms. In chapter 45, there's another point here that's made, verse 9. Hurry up, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. We know that we've forgiven others when we desire our offenders the blessing of God. When we desire our offenders to be blessed. Joseph's family was in a very tight spot. They had no ability to survive unless they had the help of somebody else. Joseph wanted them to be okay. He wanted them to be well. He wanted them to, to thrive. And our text indicates that Joseph's desire was to help his brothers, those who had offended him. And yet he had the power to do anything but that. You see, if we falter here, if we're thinking, okay, I'm going to forgive that person, but I'm going to still pray that, you know, that, that you know, their, their crops will go bad and the, their basements will flood and their, their cars will wreck and their cars won't start, 
I'm going to forgive them, but I hope all that bad stuff happens to them. See, that's not forgiveness. Here's a key, a key note that you can practice. Pray for your enemies. I think Jesus said that, didn't he? Yeah. Pray for those who hurt you. Offend you. Pray for their well-being and their blessing. And then uh, we know we've forgiven others if our forgiveness is a lifelong commitment. Somebody else in the Bible said that, you know, you forgive somebody not seven times, but what? Seven times 70. Seven times 70. Goes on and on. It becomes a way of life. Joseph cared for his brothers from this point forward, and we get to our sermon text for today. And that I put it's actually the whole story of Joseph, but I'm going to read chapter from chapter 50 right now. Talk about the lifelong commitment that Joseph gave to his brothers. You know, they kind of were afraid that Joseph was just biding his time until their father Jacob died. And then they were going to, he was going to you know, drop the hammer on him. Um, this comes up here in verse 15 of chapter 50. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, Your father gave this, this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, Joseph even thought it too. I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they, when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. From now on, even though daddy's gone, it's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to continue to lift you up. I have forgiven you. You know, it's, under, it's understandable when we see or hear about another person's hurt. We can understand how bitterness can take root. And we can sympathize with them. And we should come along people alongside people and encourage them in their hurt. That's true. But we are our own worst enemy when it comes to this matter. Nelson Mandela is reported to have said that failing to forgive another is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill somebody else. We are our own worst enemy when it comes to holding back from our forgiveness. But we have these wonderful promises from God. 
What story do you want to write in your life? What story do you want to write? Part of that story is this idea of God forgiving you and you forgiving others. The way forward is to focus on what God has said to us, the promises he's given to us, and what he's done for us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we read, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, and here's the key, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It always comes back to what Jesus has done for us. And his word, his word is what we stand on. His word. This book has carried generations of people over and under and through the deepest valleys. And this word lifts us up today. We stand upon it. And the story that you will leave, I trust and I pray, will be based upon how you've stood on this word. And how I, what we have looked at today is what this word says about forgiveness. We've been blessed with a new blessing recently in our family. You know that? You, you did know that, didn't you? <laughs> I would assume that probably most of you know that his middle name is my father's middle name, Truman. And um, it came uh, last days of my dad's life. I went up to see him. He lived in Michigan. I drove up to see him. And he was... Uh, at the, house, at the home of the place he stayed, and my mother had died just a couple months earlier. And I went in to see Dad, and he was laying on his bed. Took his hand and spoke to him a little bit. He said, you're a good son. I said, you're a good dad. He never opened his eyes all the time I was there. We didn't have much of a conversation. But he had that Bible that he'd preached from all his life, sitting next to his bed. And I picked it up, and I think I read the 23rd Psalm. All the time his eyes were closed while I was reading. And when I got to that last verse, it was dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. And he said, That precious book. 
I think that's the last words I ever heard my dad say. So that's what we stand on. And I don't, it's not that I'm not here to talk to you. I'm I'm here to let you talk with the Lord. And to hear from his word. And understand that he wants you to be free from the burden of that which has happened to you. By grace are you saved through faith. What he's done for us. May we follow suit. Oh God. May we follow suit. Help us all, Lord, to come to a place that's at least a little closer to what it means to give out of what has been given to us. Help us to find, Lord, encouragement, direction, and wisdom. Lord, have no doubt that there are someone, perhaps many, who just get up every day and they think about this. I pray that you'd help them to step a little closer to the freedom of releasing the hurt of what's been done to or against them and learn what it means to love you and to love as they've been loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.